Hello, my armchair detectives. Before I get started, I want to remind you that there are spaces in the Patreon that are open, and it's not just murder and missing persons either. In the Patreon, you will find self-care guidance and psychic energy updates about the month ahead, as well as interviews with victims in the afterlife and killers who are on the other side. You can even reserve your own private monthly reading. I want to remind you as well that if you leave a review on iTunes, which really helps this podcast get into the ears of more listeners, I would so appreciate that. And in return, if you leave that review by May 31st, you'll be entered to win a free 30-minute reading. Yes, the previous episode said 15 minutes, but I decided I was feeling a little bit more generous than that just for leaving a review. And so, who knows the name Meredith Kirscher? We all know a lot about this case, or we think we do. But even I myself have to admit that I didn't know this name after, or right before reading it from my list. Meredith Kirscher was a British college student studying in Italy at the University of Perugia in 2007. A student of European politics and Italian, she jumped at the opportunity to study in a city of about 150,000 people. She was eager to immerse herself in the culture, language, and social life of the city. And from what I understand, too, Meredith really struggled to get this opportunity to live abroad. I read somewhere that she had been to the area before with her high school and had sworn she would be back one day. Well, we can all relate to feeling that call to being in one specific place, right? I know that's how I felt when I visited the beach during a high school band trip. Yes, I played the flute. Tell your jokes. I never went to band camp. (laughs) However, on November 1st, 2007, Meredith, known as Mez to family and friends, ate dinner at a friend's place a mere 500 yards from her own flat. And around 9 p.m. that evening, she left her friend's house and walked back to her flat, which was empty except for her. Meredith actually lived with three other women, two local Italian women and one American student, Amanda, who was also studying abroad. Who's picked up on this case with me yet? Amanda was supposed to be working, but in fact had been called by her boss and the bar owner to say that she didn't need to come in that night to enjoy her night off and that they'd see each other later. Amanda excitedly went to hang out with her new Italian boyfriend, Raphael, whom she had met at a classical music concert just a week or so prior and quickly fell head over heels for. I want to pause and say what a dream that sounds like. And it's, it's said that he looked like a, like Harry Potter back when he was younger in 2007. I don't want to think about how long ago that was. That was definitely the year I graduated high school. Regardless, the following day on November 2nd, Amanda returned home from Raphael's place and noticed the front door was slightly open. Thrown off, but still not necessarily afraid, she assumed Meredith had accidentally left it cracked the night before. She entered the apartment and went into the bathroom where she had noticed a few drops of blood in the sink. Seriously, when I say a few, it wasn't enough to look scary at all. You wouldn't have thought anything of it either. After seeing the pictures, which you know are on Patreon, it didn't look like anything noteworthy and could result from something so small as like a paper cut or a shaving cut, any tiny little bump on your body. 
Amanda proceeded to take a quick shower, but according to her in the documentary, Amanda Knox, which I highly recommend watching, she felt like maybe she wasn't alone in the flat. Maybe Meredith wasn't just sleeping and she hurried up and went back to her boyfriend's. It's my understanding that these flats are all within minutes of each other and that it was completely normal for them to be kind of like wandering back and forth between them. While there, she expressed to him, to Raphael, that she just wasn't sure about what she had encountered back at her place. And she told him all about how there was a little bit of blood and she decided to take a shower anyway. But while she was in there, she just felt uncomfortable. And she had even, I neglected to mention this, she had gone to the bathroom on the other side of the flat. Evidently, there were two bathrooms. And she went to get a hairdryer. And when she was in there, she noticed that there was unflushed feces in the toilet, which was not something that Meredith would have done or any of the other roommates for that matter, which I believe that's the thing that really kind of sent her over the edge. And she hurried up and left and got back to Raphael's. So after she had filled him in and how uncomfortable she was with the whole situation, they headed back to Amanda's flat to check things out. At this point, they noticed a broken window in one of the Italian roommate's bedrooms, and inside, Meredith's bedroom door was locked. Amanda had already tried calling Mer a few times, and Meredith was not answering. Since her bedroom door was locked and they couldn't seem to wake her up, they called the Italian police as well as one of the Italian flatmates who was out of town. When the police arrive, it's actually what they call in Italy the postal police, and they're responsible for investigating crimes involving like cell phones or computers that are stolen. And we're already in the area to investigate two cell phones that were found in a garden nearby Amanda and Meredith's flat. The postal police weren't super helpful at all. From what I have gathered from reading and, and listening to various podcasts in the documentary, Amanda and Raphael had asked them to please break down Meredith's door. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. It wasn't their place. They couldn't do it. So I'd be interested to learn more about what this postal police is versus the military police who were the ones who arrived on scene not long after the postal police arrived. So at this time, Meredith's door was finally forced open. And I believe this was still not something that the police did, but it was done by a friend of Meredith's and it was immediately clear that Meredith had been murdered. The scene was gruesome, to say the least. There was blood absolutely everywhere, and Meredith was lying on the floor with the blanket carelessly tossed over her, leaving her left foot exposed. I mean, there was blood absolutely everywhere. It would later be determined that she, excuse me, she had been sexually assaulted, beaten, and stabbed. While the stabbing is ultimately what killed her, she had also been strangled. She had over 40 wounds from this attack, including bruises and knife wounds all over her body, her vaginal area, her throat, face, legs, and torso. Her clothing had been ripped from her body and was strewn about her bedroom. Meredith's two cell phones that were missing, if you recall, one for international calls and one for local, were the two in question that the postal police had been nearby to investigate earlier, but nothing else seemed to be missing according to Amanda. Italian police instantly zeroed in on Amanda and her boyfriend, citing their inappropriate behavior at the scene. They had been caught on camera kissing near the flat while police investigated. However, information is later made available that whomever it was that took the footage actually made it look like they were kissing over and over and over again to kind of insinuate the couple was being disrespectful rather than just simply comforting each other in a tragic and terrifying situation.
in Amanda's mind, it could have been her had she been the one who was home. And I'll touch on that later as well. This case quickly became all about American student Amanda Knox and the supposed sex-fueled murder of her roommate Meredith. But we're going to stay away from Amanda's story and focus on Meredith's. I do believe wholeheartedly that countless lives were ruined aside from Meredith's and her families. But the grim truth is that when you say the name Amanda Knox, almost everyone in the U.S. and likely abroad knows that name. When I read the name Meredith Kersher on my list of victims to investigate, her name jumped out as a yes, do this one, but I had no idea that this was the name of the young lady who was supposedly murdered by her American roommate, Amanda Knox, while studying abroad. Further, and spoiler alert, I believe that making this about Amanda further perpetuates the lies and slander that plagued her for over a decade and still likely continue to do so. But I digress. The scene was mishandled from the very beginning. Police officers entered the crime scene without wearing booties on their feet, without changing booties from room to room, and handling evidence without ensuring photographs were taken first, failing to change gloves between evidence handling, and so much more. When photos were taken, things had already been moved around, and in some cases, it had been weeks since the murder took place, and nothing was as it had been during the murder. Police had actually recorded the investigation, and because of this, we were able to see just how disorganized and ill-conducted the investigation actually was. Here was this beautiful, 21-year-old college female with an incredibly bright future, found dead, badly beaten, and left with a blanket tossed over her lifeless body, and police became more intent on delivering to the media the monster that they had envisioned and created, that they were pinning on Amanda, more interested in that than they were in simply finding Meredith's killer. And because of this, her family as well as Amanda and Amanda's family suffered for it. All of this because of Giuliano Mignini insisting that this murder was based on a sexual escapade gone wrong. This is the prosecutor. While he painted this picture of Amanda as a sex-crazed lunatic who must have killed her roommate. If you want to hear more on this, then listen to the Real Crime Profile podcast episodes 37 through 43 to really have the case unpacked in a very detailed way. Because of the lack of self-defense marks on Meredith and the way she was seemingly pinned down during the attack, police determined she must have faced at least two attackers. And really, this was a theory that was created out of thin air and they just kind of ran with it. Further, because of the fact that she was covered with a blanket, they insisted that one of the attackers had to have been female because a male attacker, quote, wouldn't think to have done that. So when Rudy Guidet, an acquaintance of the men who lived on the lower floor, was arrested based on fingerprint evidence, police insisted that he could not have acted alone, still citing that a woman of Meredith's strength could have and would have fought off her attacker. Nothing like victim shaming, huh? Rudy's fingerprints, skin cells, and feces were all found at the scene. His shoe prints were found set in her blood, his DNA on her purse along with her blood. He admitted to being in the room. His actual handprint was found on the pillow under Meredith's head, and his fingerprints led investigators to him, which, by the way, he was found fleeing the country. Rudy had prior burglaries on his record and had in fact just been released after stealing from a nursery in which he was carrying a large knife. There was no way around it, unless it were the Italian police. Rudy was it. 
His sort of signature at his burglaries was throwing a rock through a window to gain access to the home, just as we had seen with Meredith Kirscher's place. And with mountains of evidence indicating that Rudy was the only one there, it doesn't make sense to me why the police would insist on not being satisfied with Rudy's arrest. If it was public pressure that they were under, they had Rudy. They didn't have to pin it on anyone else. It didn't matter how weird or awkward or strange Amanda's behavior was that she wasn't a killer. She isn't a killer. He ultimately even admitted to being there. He did claim at separate times as his story continuously changed that Amanda wasn't there and then she was. Truly, I believe he was just trying to get time off his sentence and move some of the guilt to someone else. In fact, he had an expedited trial that was separate from that of the others so that he wouldn't have to be a part of the circus that was about to unfold because he knew he was guilty. And in fact, his 30-year sentence was later dropped to 16 years, and I believe he finishes out with community service. Anyway, that wasn't enough for police. They just couldn't get past that no man would ever cover the victim in the way that Meredith was covered. They couldn't get past Amanda Knox's out-of-the-ordinary behavior, which was truly very normal, just sensationalized by the media and greatly exaggerated. The DNA evidence that the police had against Amanda was from a kitchen knife that supposedly had Meredith's blood on the blade, but was later found that it wasn't even in fact Meredith's blood, let alone blood, but something else entirely. By the time that was determined, however, the media had already run with it. In one episode of the podcast I mentioned earlier, they discussed how Amanda could have made lunch with that knife, rinsed the blade, and put it back. And truthfully, that's exactly what I was seeing when they talked about the knife even being evidence. She sliced up some food, she rinsed the blade, wiped it on a towel, and put the knife back in the drawer, leaving her DNA on the handle. Additionally, they found DNA from Raphael and Meredith's bra clasp. This clasp was collected over 40 days after the murder scene was initially investigated. And also, it was stated by the lab technicians that it very well could have been transferred DNA and likely was from the sloppy investigation. So there really wasn't any DNA evidence on Amanda or her boyfriend. So what happened that night? And this is where I come in. 100%. I see Amanda and Raphael snuggled up watching their movie on the couch. I see Meredith on her way back to her flat, unknowingly headed to her untimely death. And I see that Rudy had already thrown a rock into the window and broken in, and was in there literally sitting on the toilet when Meredith walked back into her flat. And how cocky and arrogant can you be to literally use the bathroom while you are breaking into their house because you've got, what, bubble cuts? Good lord. I believe, and then not even, not even flush. I believe he had never raped anyone during a burglary before, but then having met her already, having been struck by her beauty already, and having made an attempt to interact with her before, in which she was polite, but not as inviting as he'd hoped, he took what was his as he saw it. I believe that as soon as he saw her, he knew he was going to rape her, but didn't know that anyone would in fact return home while he was there. So it wasn't his plan, but he adapted quite quickly. He did know that no one would be home, or so he thought, as he knew all four men on the lower flat would be out of town. He had, in passing conversation, come to find that Amanda would have been at work, and Meredith was going to be at a friend's house, and everyone else would be out of town. 
Now, when I initially felt into this case with only Meredith's name, I saw a beautiful young woman and I saw her out with co-eds is what was coming into my mind. And I believe what I saw was her socializing with the men who lived in the lower flat and with her roommates. I felt the tension of two people who were together, but not necessarily a couple. I believe that the fight that I was seeing, that the disagreement, that the argument, that the violence was actually what was going on between her and Rudy. I believe this was his attempt to come onto her that was denied, and I felt a lot of confusion over, and let me go back real quick, that coming onto her but being denied was not that night. That was full on, he 100% overpowered, raped, and murdered her. I do not believe this is in any way him being like, oh, hey, baby, after he's caught breaking into her home. No, not at all. Anyway, I felt a lot of confusion over another couple and their involvement, which made so much sense when I finally looked up her name, as that was clearly Raphael and Amanda, and I saw someone being raped and strangled. I did also see a lot of blood, but I didn't actually see the act of stabbing, just of the beating and the strangulation, and I could see her face while he was doing it, and that is why we won't go into such details, but when I read that she was in fact strangled, but ultimately that stabbing is what killed her, I believed that she was not staying as still as he thought she would, and that he wasn't as strong as he thought he was to be able to strangle her on his own, and that's ultimately why he grabbed the knife that he had already had on him and began stabbing, because he was having trouble overpowering her. Was Amanda involved? Absolutely not. Rudy was the one, was the only one involved, and had Amanda been home instead of Meredith, it would have been her killed in the same exact way as Rudy would have been caught off guard and taken control of the situation, so to speak. Why did he cover her with the blanket? So for those of you who are well-versed in true crime and consider themselves junior criminal profilers, we know that often victims are covered as a sign of remorse or respect. I do not believe that this was the case here. I believe that he was disgusted by the sight of her deceased body and covered her solely so that he didn't have to look at her. Now, he did not go into all of the ways that police ruined the lives of others who got wrapped up into this circus, and that's not for any other reason than to be very clear on what happened to Meredith. Frankly, I don't think that there is too much to look into with mediumship, and I will also be clear in saying that I did not make any attempt to connect directly to Meredith, but only to the energy of the situation physically. Connecting to her in this instance felt unfair and unacceptable to me, so this case was definitely done a little bit differently than usual, but I did feel that it needed to be covered in a way that we only highlight what affected Meredith or her family. Shame on the criminal justice system that disrespected them in such a way. And on that note, my friends, hit me up with any case recommendations that you may have and head on over to Patreon to see any of the photos that go with this case. Stay safe, my friends.